0: Hi, this is the Organisational Success Academy from the Oxford Review, bringing you the very latest research in leadership, management, organisational development, design, transformation and change, human resources and human capital, organisational learning, coaching and work psychology from around the world to make you the most up-to-date and knowledgeable person in the room. So today I'd like to um, welcome uh, Dr. Ruby Campbell. Um, who's written a very interesting book um, called scientists in the boardroom harnessing the power of stem leaders in every boardroom uh, we're going to have a little uh, look at that with Ruby um, but before we start do you just want to tell me something about yourself kind of what you do and a bit of your background and your journey and the research that you've been involved in
1: sure um, well first of all thank you for inviting me along and I'm delighted to be here David um and um yes the book is a uh, scientist in every boardroom and uh the emphasis every as my editor insisted uh because um as as I'll get to in a minute it's really about ensuring that we have rational thinking in every boardroom um so my my background is really mixed um And I I started out as a research scientist, research chemist in the pharmaceutical industry. And I moved uh, within the corporate world for um, a span of about 27 years um, in different different roles, all within technical and scientific affairs. Um, Although I had a a three year stint in uh, in business development, I've been very lucky. I I got to work on some really fascinating projects. Um, Most of them Greenfield projects, which is what I love. Mm -hmm. And um, I I got to set up the the first center of excellence uh, here in Australasia for a a multinational pharmaceutical company, which earned me uh, the privilege of being transferred to the US. Uh, So (laughs) I ended up (laughs) I I was there for three years and um, I set up uh, and this is in the early 1990s I set up uh, the um, contract manufacturing uh, business for a a multinational farmer out of two facilities one in New York and the other one in Puerto Rico and um, and that was a lot of fun Um, then I came back to Australia and um, and I Again, ended up working on a really fascinating uh, project with a startup biotech company, an Australian company. And I was part of the executive team that went through the IPO process and got it listed on the Australian Stock Exchange. I set up the uh, technical operations division, a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, And then I went back to the multinational world, if you like um and um headed up scientific affairs for Australasia um, i ended up then sort of making you know getting very curious about the the um the commercial side of things uh obviously because of the types of projects i was always working on uh which you know always entailed uh multiple functions and and i always found myself as the interpreter if you like sort of you know both both sides you know speaking to the commercial folk and the and then the scientific folk um so i ended up doing an mba as a uh mature age student um so it's an executive mba and at that time it was really life changing for me um and I ended up joining the adjunct faculty of the uh, the, the School of Business uh, at uh, the University of New South Wales, oh,
2: yeah. and
1: um, and that was um, like I said life changing, and, um, and and that got me thinking about well really uh, what is you know what's going on with leadership, and, um, and and as I started to ask my question you know myself those questions, it led me then to continue. To, to study some more, and I ended up doing uh, further studies in applied um, psychology. So I was very privileged to, to study with uh, uh, the late Professor Anthony Grant, who um, was the founder of the first coaching psychology unit uh, at the University of Sydney. Uh-huh. And, uh, and so, yeah, a very, very interesting and, you know, windy... Um, uh, career, but one that I, I feel really privileged uh, to to have and, and cherish very much because I, I get to to work with uh, with executives.
0: Yeah, that's what I, I was wondering how you'd made that transition from from uh, from being a chemist into the, the coaching world that I know you in. And uh, yeah. ah, interesting. Yeah. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Brilliant. Good. Yeah. Okay. So, um, the the book what. was <laughs> How, well, how you know what was it that kind of brought you to writing the book, and what led up to that?
1: Um, look, David, like every big endeavor, whether you're starting up your own company or uh, your own journal uh, okay. or, um, or writing a book, it's it's a product of a lot of experiences, right, mm. and a lot of insights and so you know for me it was it was a long journey it was it was sort of always questioning always asking um what, what what's going on this doesn't make sense and i think it was that need to make sense of things you know as as we as we say in coaching psychology meaning making yeah. so it was it was it was out of a need to make sense
0: and, and what specifically wasn't making sense? Was it about the leadership or organisations?
1: All of the above. Oh. Leadership organisations. Yeah. Um, you know that that uh, I've I've been very lucky to have worked with many organisations. I've, I've also chaired non for profit organisations. I've sat on boards. I've worked with the United Nations. Um, I've um, I, I started from the bottom in the lab, and, and isn't it sad that I even I call it the bottom? But that's what that what the world calls it. Mm. Um, and and through that trajectory, I just started to see so many incongruences, and um, I just decided that that we just were not really hitting the mark when it comes to developing our leaders. That sounds really arrogant because I'm not claiming that I have all the answers, mm. not at all. Um, I'm just building on what other researchers and practitioners um have have developed and continue to develop. Um, and I thought I would I had something to contribute.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's there's definitely a difference. Quite often between the way a scientist thinks and sees the world, and and people within organisations um, who don't have a science background kind of view the world, view data, view decision making, and and those kinds of activities. And and I, I get what you're saying that you know there's there's a big difference there between those two kind of worlds, I suppose. And because you were sat in between those two worlds, operating in both sides, I can see why you would start to realise those problems. Brilliant. Okay. So what I find interesting is you actually started out writing a book that was originally about coaching for ethical leadership. So how did that switch happen?
1: Ah, it's, um, it's, it's, you know, Some people, a lot of people who are, who are reading the book, they say, "How did you know?" <laughs> um, but I think that it was almost like a massive detour. So I was working on, you know, ethical leadership, and um, and I then 2016 happened. That's the presidential election in the United States, and. I was born in the u s so I'm an American citizen by birth, but I'm an Australian citizen by descent, yeah, yeah. All
2: right, and
1: know. yeah, yeah, so my whole family, my extended family they're they're in the u s my my sister niece's nephews yeah. um, and, and and so um, and I still currently hold an american passport i um i I remember the day after. And I was having lunch with a highly, probably the most uh, referenced psychologist of our time, uh, Professor Richard Ryan, oh. and he, he, he from self-determination theory. And he now uh, heads up a, a research unit at uh, the Australian Catholic University. But back then he was still at uh, the University of Rochester, New York. Mm. And, we know we were having lunch and I remember how the, the the somber mood, he was heartbroken. And and I was more than heartbroken, I was emotional, I was in tears. And um we didn't know what, what was going to happen, but we were just commiserating. And um and as I continued to to research and to work and to watch what was happening. Um, and, and writing, I could see this very palpable antagonism against science, ah. and he started to undo a lot of the a lot of the um, work that had taken decades mm. to implement to protect the environment um, and change many many other regulations and, and you know, without getting into politics. Um, although, as I mentioned in the book, it is wrong for scientists not to get involved in politics. It's high time that scientists did get involved, as Albert Einstein said. Um, and so I... It just became... It was a, an aha moment, to be honest, David. Um, it, it was... Also, as I started to read more about the alarming lack of action with regards to climate change, and I am now speaking about Australia, um, and I just started to feel like I could no longer be an observer and even though i'm a coach and you would think well you are doing something you are contributing you are coaching leaders um clearly as a coach you cannot influence your clients on your own values and your own views you're supposed to respect you know their values and their action, their, their their goals mm. and uh and so i i thought well there there is something else i can do I can apply my research skills and my writing skills to... to, And and also, as as I kept researching, and and the Oxford Review helped me tremendously to identify a pattern in terms of who was being promoted to CEO and to a leader of a nation. Mm -hmm. And that research that you... Um, help with was uh, an eye opener, and so as I kept exploring and digging and investigating, I it, it just hit me, uh, and I thought, holy moly, there, there is. And, and of course, um, then I started to look at what was happening in Australia with Australian politics, um, Australian leadership, and and then all of a sudden I saw this global pattern. Mm. Um, of elevating a certain kind of leader and discarding, because that's what's happening, Mm -hmm. discarding those leaders that don't fit the mould. And it was then the word that came to mind was groupthink and lack of diversity. Mm -hmm. That then helped me realise, wow, We are facing all of these global risks as a result of lack of cognitive diversity, which, you know, as I was reviewing one of your brilliant um, research reports on team diversity and team performance, as as you rightly pointed out, you know, there is, you know, first order, you know, there is this superficial level of diversity that we've grown accustomed to. But then there is a deeper level of diversity that we really should be looking at. And yeah. I've chosen to call it co- cognitive diversity because it kind of picks up everything. Um, but, you know, there is a lot more to be said, a lot, a lot more to be researched in that space. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, um, so what just, uh, for people who haven't read it, what, what we're talking about here is um, kind of surface level um, diversity, which is around skin color, um, uh, the deeper levels are around about how people think, uh, how they perceive things, how they um, uh, interact with things. that there's a whole series of different levels of diversity that make more of a difference. And it's got nothing really to do with people's skin color, it's about what's going on in here and also in their heart. So yeah,
2: interesting.
1: And 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 you know, um, as a coach, and this is the beautiful thing about um, coaching psychology, it's this. um, You know, it's 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 no longer an emerging discipline. It is it is a discipline that is um, starting to mature, and there's a you know so much research happening. Um, all over the world. And um, I'm currently uh, studying with Peter Hawkins and David uh, Clutterbuck from oh. in fact uh, from Henley Business School. Mm. Yep. I know David. And and um, yeah mm. and and um, and you know we we we're, we're actually talking about the team processes that are necessary to ensure that you have the right kind of diversity that will lead to positive organizational results and outcomes. Mm. And, um, but part of that, part of that, uh, David, and this is an essential part of it, we need STEM people in teams because they bring something different to the table.
0: Okay, Uh, what's that?
1: Well, funny you should ask. <laughs> um, in, in my book, uh, on, on page 57, I call it the STEM leadership advantage.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm not saying that we should get rid of other leaders and only have uh, STEM leaders. That, that would be a technocracy, and that's mm-hmm. not what we, we are recommending. We're saying that we want, in the leadership circle, whether it be in government, academia, uh, or the corporate sector, whether it's profit or non for um, there is great benefit to, to be derived by having people from STEM backgrounds. And the reason for that, and you might want to then ask me, what does STEM stand for? That was um, going to be
0: my next question, so people know.
2: <laughs>
1: STEM is an acronym, and my STEM has two M's. Hmm. Um, so S is for science, T is for technology, E is for engineering. The first STEM is for mathematics, and the second M is for medical research or medicine and of course i'm a very inclusive person so i thought let's include the medical scientist as well
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) yes And, and, and just to be clear this is this is not about replacing leaders with stem leaders it's about increasing the diversity of leadership within organizations to include them because largely they tend not to end up in leadership positions is so that what we say? Well,
1: that's right. That's yeah. right. And and um, something that that I talk about in my book is I, you know, I use case studies, and these are, are amalgams of many many clients. Um, but there are two two particular individuals that I talk about throughout the book. Um, but what the data shows, and when I say data, this is research from all over the world, the UN, particularly UNESCO, uh, the Pew Research Centre, and and many other organisations, is that um, people with a STEM background, that's that's not the only thing, it's also other personality traits that contribute to STEM individuals being left out of the decision making conversation,
2: right?
1: And so um, characteristically, um, very analytical Mm -hmm. and they have complex problem solving skills. And at this stage of humanity in the 21st century, and I talk about this extensively in my book, we uh, we being people who um, follow the World Economic Forum and Davos uh, conversations, um, the the, uh, chairman of the WEF has coined the term fourth industrial revolution. and, uh, And that's characterized by never seen before Uh, um, scientific and technological advances never seen before Mm -hmm. Uh, what is about to come is is something that is going to redefine reality for all of us not just most of us all of us and the research shows that our current leaders are not equipped to make decisions that are accurate or fast enough. Those two things, accuracy and speed. Mm. And you can see that. You can see that with the pandemic. You can see that with climate change. Yep. You know, and many other global risks that are mentioned in my book. Mm.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah we're, we're seeing it in the UK a lot. And, you know, we're, we're seeing, particularly with um, Industry 4.0, Um, And and just for people, what we're talking about is a group of technologies that are um, starting to become part of the decision-making apparatus. So we've got AI, machine learning, and a whole series of other robotics and things that are starting to enter into the workplace on a a significant level that's starting to change the world of work. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about Industry 4.0. So we're seeing quite a number of examples in the UK, for example. Um, There was a decision made um, by one of our MPs, um, the father of the house, to recall everybody in the middle of the epidemic um, to vote in person um, whilst everybody's meant to be social distancing. Um, Whilst before that they were doing it virtually and it's like there's this kind of anti technology thinking that's going on yeah. um with a with a group of leaders who don't understand it and don't like it and yet these technologies are having huge impact in fact I've I've just written um yesterday a research briefing around um AI and machine learning and the impact that it's starting to have on people's trust of decisions because a lot of these algorithms are actually making decisions in the workplace and if we have leaders that don't understand that and don't understand what's inside those things we've got real problems because they're they're not seeing some of the issues that are are cropping up with it and some of them are just blindly accepting it anyway sorry
1: and and and, and, but to, to add to that david um And it's interesting that you call it industry 4.0. And I think it's interesting how every country, they'll latch on to a different term. And over here, it's the fourth industrial revolution, which is the term that I've decided to use in my book. Mm. Um, It's it's not just artificial intelligence and and alternative and artificial reality. It's also genome editing. Now, I come from the pharmaceutical industry from a medical research background mm. and I still work very heavily in that space. And what is happening in that world is mind-boggling and our leaders don't understand it. Yeah. They don't understand what it means. Genome editing, they don't understand. They think, well, they just go by science fiction movies. That's their idea. That's how they conceptualise. Mm. Uh, uh, research uh, 3d printing and again they'll go by some current affairs show that they'll watch and that's how they base their decisions yep. and yep. there is a massive lag time when you have leaders around the table who don't have it's not it's i'm not talking about familiarity i'm not talking about reading scientific american or new scientist i'm talking about people who are trained in STEM because there is a different aspect to the way that we view things. Okay. Yep. We are trained, it is innate in us. Mm. When I say innate after many years of development, of course, yes. and studying mm. it is innate. We think mathematically, we you know we we we're trying to see patterns, patterns mm. that maybe as Maybe other fields may not see other mm. say for example, for example, lawyers may not see uh which is from mm. a the politician you know, they usually come from that that field, mm. and so there there is a massive uh disconnect at the moment mm. and um and the consequences are very serious very very serious, which i which I talk about extensively in my book mm. uh are yes. consequences that have been that have been highlighted by the United Nations in their global risks uh, report for many years. And Mm. our leaders ignore that.
0: They are. And and just from one of the areas that I've got interested in around, because I'm a psychologist, around um, the manipulation of minds and how um, certain political parties are actually using Um, social media and things in order to manipulate um, the way people vote the way people think um, on a scale that we've never been able to do before and we just look at the scandal over Cambridge Analytica now people think that because Cambridge Analytica is no longer that the problem's gone away it hasn't and I'm you know one of the things that I'm uh, particularly interested in is how politicians are viewing that issue around psychological manipulation and the vast yeah. majority of them they don't they're not even on the starting blocks so if we don't understand that and that's just at one level of science so, you know with, with uh, genomics and, and 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 a number of other ones if you don't understand it how do you actually engage in kind of social movement of changing things so that we're not being manipulated, that we're not getting into a situation where democracy is being hacked. Uh, And that's that's just at a political level. How do politicians and leaders make decisions if they don't understand the science? Because this science is not coming, it's here. And it's making a difference. Mm. Well,
1: the science has always been here. Mm, and uh yes. the, it's always been here, and we've changed in the last fifty years mm. um and have elevated the the salesman of um as leader
2: yes that's a good so observation.
1: yeah yeah mm. and uh, this is um this um there's a lot of um studies by sociologists that I talk about in my mm. book um and how and you know, and, and, and again uh and and i i at the risk of sounding like i am being too harsh on the on the us and let's keep in mind that i'm an american by birth um this this really started in the united states um you know in the early 1900s and um after after the uh, industrial revolution um, the, something very interesting started to happen in politics, and it was more about uh, the, the the capitalist mindset. And, the, and and I'm not criticizing capitalism because I think, um, you know, it is it is the system that that um, that we've we've all um, adapted to. Mm. And so it is really about being more balanced and not pursuing wealth at the expense of other stakeholders. And that's, that's what I like about the term, the fourth industrial revolution and what we are now saying to leaders, hey, we have been pursuing this, this model of the shareholder value and always been the shareholder at the top. Mm. But that has really sacrificed other stakeholders. Mm. And the other stakeholders are the environment and the underrepresented in society
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, and the animals and plants and and, and what we're observing with uh, mass extinctions.
2: Mm.
1: And so we need a different narrative and a different way of interpreting um capitalism and what the book is about is making sure that we have other thoughts around the table and scientists and i can i can tell you this for myself i'm both a physical scientist and a social scientist Mm. and i was never trained to uh love wealth Mm. my 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 training was to pursue the truth to look for the truth to look yep. for the facts mm. right and to love learning for the sake of learning yes you know that 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 that, that really is how scientists are wired whether mm. you're a scientist or or a physical scientist but if if you only put uh people in leadership who come from sales and marketing or economics um or dare I say, law, um, you will just get group thinking you will only get a one-track mind you will only only pursue certain goals yeah and not consider the rest of humanity
2: hmm. yeah
0: and, and the wider picture because we live in an ecosystem and if that ecosystem goes down we go down with it and um and anyway yes <laughs> absolutely <laughs> so in in the book you talk about the science of leadership, so uh, and science being an acronym. acronym. So um, what do you mean by that, and why is it important?
1: Yes. Um, being, obviously, a scientist um, in, in, in the soul, I, I wanted to come up with a, a, an acronym that would resonate with, with um, other scientists. There is nothing worse for a scientist to be given an acronym we don't like acronyms. We think they're cheesy. And I remember when I started to do the MBA, and everything was an acronym. You know, the this model, the, that that oh, model, the yeah. whatever model. Um, I, I I really had to change my mindset and stop. You know, laughing in lectures, thinking what this is ridiculous. You know, we are thinking formulas and 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 this law and that. You know, mm. um, that's, we we're trained to remember formulas. Yep. And equations and so I thought well what can I do to help um, build the bridge and and also help my fellow scientists remember uh, this and I came up with science and I thought brilliant and really each letter represents a set of it's it's um, a pillar if you like and each pillar under each pillar is an umbrella of of um, different tools, um, so the S stands for self-development. Um, sorry, self-knowledge development. Um, it's, it is quite an extensive framework, mm. um, but I the know. the the gist of it is that it basically gives you a very systematic approach to helping. Leaders, And in fact, this model applies to any leader, not just scientists. I just Mm. called it science, as I said, to appeal to my STEM colleagues. Mm. But it can apply to any leader who is transitioning from one level to another. So if you're going from supervisor to manager, manager to director, director to um, chief, you know, operating officer or vice president or president, you're really going through massive changes, psychologically as well Mm. as cognitively. Oh,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. And uh, those transitions need to be managed. And sadly, what we do is we promote someone based on their technical competence. They're very good at, you know, for example, an accountant, brilliant accountant, and then they get promoted to financial controller or CFO. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, they are... uh, expected to lead, to inspire, to set a vision, they don't know how to do that. Mm. Um, And so this model takes any leader through the steps to actually develop the the skills and capabilities to be able to lead effectively.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah. Great. Right. Um, do, do you just want to talk us very quickly through what the the acronym means? So we've got science. So there,
1: yeah. So self development development self knowledge yeah. development. Yeah. And that is really about knowing yourself. Mm-hmm. So we, we work with with um, the client or the team. to yeah. um, Develop greater self awareness. Yeah. And understand their own personality traits yeah. their strengths values yeah and there's um, a lot
0: of research evidence to support that this is a key um attribute this development of of self-awareness um and it's the foundation for further development anyway sorry yeah carry
1: on no, without that hmm. um without that you're just uh, spinning the wheels
2: yeah um, yeah, we, yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah, so like you said, there is a lot that um, that can be covered under that. And I talk about it in my book. And I also, in the, in the back section of the book, uh, there's a table where I actually provide the different models. And every yes. model that I've used is evidence-based.
2: Mm. Yeah, yeah. No,
0: it's, it's very good.
1: So. Yeah, the C is conceptualized mental complexity.
2: Mm-hmm. Good.
1: And a lot of people would say, what on earth is that? Well, that is the level of maturity. And again, there there are some really nifty tests that we can use uh, to help the client understand, right, I have a socialized mind, which is a follower versus a self-authoring mind, which is sort of a, a middle leader versus a uh, self-transforming mind, which is a meta leader, somebody who leads because he or she wants to make a difference. Yeah. The I in science is investigate leadership style and capability. Now, uh, I would imagine that your, your readers would know a great deal about the different leadership styles because you do some brilliant uh, reports in that, in that space. Mm-hmm. And uh, in my book, I talk about the, the leadership models that have been researched mm. and the ones that you can actually say, okay, well, there are, there is an organizational connection to outcomes. Yep. Um, and of course, being an executive coach, I've actually um, also captured a lot of work that we've done in, uh, in coaching psychology in conceptualizing essential leadership capabilities. Yeah. Uh, but that, that really comes from coaching psychology. Mm. Um, e is for emotional intelligence enhancement. And um, I, there are many models that are research and evidence-based. One I like using is Daniel Goldman's. Yeah, uh, because it's really approachable, really accessible. It's easy yes. to understand, hmm. um, and that is self-explanatory. You know, we need to have emotional development if, if we, uh, sorry, emotional intelligence if we are to to engage with others. Yep, um, and and I just want to make a point here that when I when I started writing this book, and I would attend a conference. And talk to other coaches and other colleagues, and uh, you know we start talking. Oh, what are you working on? And I would say, I'm writing a book on coaching, you know, STEM leaders. And they would say, Please, please do that. We need that desperately. And I say, Why is that? And uh, sadly, their description of the the STEM individuals, regardless of what field, mm-hmm. was far from favourable. Yeah. That really showed the stereotypes and the, the, the biases that exist already in society hmm. that we have to unlearn. And so, when I talk about developing emotional intelligence, I'm not coming from a position of deficiency. I'm actually saying, you know what? Everyone, we all need to develop emotional intelligence.
2: Yeah, because
1: if, a doubt. If, if scientists in behind, if hmm. scientists. Are being sort of left behind closed doors, so sort to of speak, mm. so that decisions get made by the leaders. Um, there is something in there in terms of reciprocal emotional. Yep. How about if those others who are maybe strongly extroverted make an effort to engage with a slightly more introverted scientist?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And certainly from my own. Research area, which is around uncertainty um, uh, uh, the areas of emotional intelligence um, uh, and particularly emotion regulation skills um, have been shown time and time again to underpin people 's ability to be able to deal cope with uncertainty uh, shifting uh, fast sh- um, changing situations and things like that and um, it, the the whole idea of Emotion regulation, particularly, is frequently left out of the syllabus for leadership development, and 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 it's a problem because it really does underpin people's ability to be able to deal with a difficult situations, but also uncertainty as well. So yeah, I would just second that without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. that's
1: right. And there's some really uh, good work that is um, coming out. Um, you know, from uh, mindfulness work and mindfulness yep. research. In, in you know, I, I really like ACT, to acceptance and commitment yep. therapy, a whole umbrella of tools. And they've come up with psychological flexibility as a term, which I, I find really um, it's easy for my clients to understand. Um, and 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 we cover emotional regulation in there um i
0: completely agree with you David. and and that the the whole idea of of cognitive flexibility is kind of a a bit of a game changer in the narrative um particularly for um coachees so as they start to Mm. think about that and that idea of being able to be flexible here about the way they're perceiving things understanding that it is a perception and that and going back to this whole thing about cognitive diversity really and the importance of cognitive diversity in decision making and within organizations and quite often that's missed out and as you say groupthink we end up with people being promoted because they fit the system And it doesn't create that diversity. And and certainly, again, going back to the research that I've been doing around um, dealing with uncertainty, that Mm -hmm. cognitive diversity is key. So the people, there's about 2% of the population who are really, really good with uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And what you find that they do when they approach a situation is the first thing they do is they say, I don't know what's going on here. And that's so important then what they do is they go about this data collection process from a huge diversity of people and and not just the people around them they'll go to the cleaner they'll go to people out in the street they'll want to know how they're perceiving the world because it's valuable data and then they start to work out what the patterns are what they're seeing what the emergent properties are from that point of view um what tends to happen Before that, so the other 98% is that they tend to look at a situation and make their decision about what's happening rather than collecting the data first from that that diversity. So, yeah, again, you know, I kind of second that. Yeah, brilliant.
1: Yeah, but what's really interesting about what you're just saying, David, if I can just um, Mm. connect then to other aspects of the model, Mm. and that's why none of these... Um, concepts should stand on their own, all right? They are all interconnected and it it could be iterative. So it may look like sequential. The only one that should come first is self-knowledge development and everything else really can be iterative and it can be met. But if I can just uh, connect to the conceptualised mental complexity, I um, have been looking at some brilliant research that is, and and it's in early early days, early stages, trying to connect um, the the relationship between mental complexity, i.e. maturity, which comes from adult development theory, as you know,
2: Hmm.
1: to cognitive flexibility, and then psychological flexibility. Right. Yeah. So, what are the relationships between all of those? And it's really brilliant. It's really brilliant stuff. Um, and so, when I sit with a client, yeah, when I sit with a client, I am, I have, you know, like a such a, a massive um, library of of, um, of tools, and and in the in the in the dialogue in the narrative uh coaches like like myself um and, and i'll come to that you know a little bit later on about what that means um we we're trained to not just you know listen and try to make everything positive and rah 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 no we are <laughs> that's linear thinking we're thinking okay where is this client in his or her adult development uh, trajectory. What is their level of mental complexity? Are they really equipped to have the level of cognitive flexibility required for this kind of leadership position? Yeah. Do they do they have the, the such flexibility? Okay, to deal with the uncertainty that is now. Yep. Place in leadership everywhere, yeah. And so the answer is no. Mm. In majority of cases, the answer is no. Yeah. And so in the in the coaching programs that we work on, we we are constantly looking at all those things and trying to conceptualize whether it's like a jigsaw puzzle. And so and it's it's co-created. It's not being led by me. You know, it's the client and me. Hmm. and so um and of course it's also supplemented by maybe some skills training etc etc so it's a very nuanced process and 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 framework which then brings me to the end in in uh, in the acronym in science and is for nurturing resilience and well-being Hmm. so it's all very well and good to uh to to know all of this stuff but if you don't have the resources, the emotional resources, the mental resources, and the physical resources to undertake all of this, yep. to flex when you're supposed to flex. Yep. Then no matter how much you know, you'll just come unstuck. Yep. Um, so in in the in that space of nurturing, resilience and well-being, once upon a time, a lot of people used to say, oh, leaders, you know, that's that's what differentiates them. I would dare say that now everybody, you know, I I, I disagree that leaders need to be more resilient. Uh, I'm a great believer that a leader is only as good as his or her followers. So, well, I'd,
0: I'd, I'd go one stage further, actually, because w- w- certainly what's coming out of the research that we're reviewing is um, there's a huge shift in teams towards shared leadership. So, you know, just because somebody hasn't got the title as leader, in in today's work world, there are, there are going to be times when they're working on projects that they are going to be leading. Not true. And 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 that, you know, having these capabilities and also having this diversity within the teams is being shown time and time and time again in studies to be critical to team success. So, any, yeah, carry on, sorry. <laughs> There's so much no, no, stuff. But mm. it is,
1: it is um, mm. very, very valuable what, what you're adding to the conversation mm. because I couldn't agree more. Uh, the way of the future, it's always been teams, the wisdom of teams. And, um, and one of the brilliant things about STEM leadership, the STEM leadership advantage, mm. again, from page 57 58, is that we are accustomed to working in teams we yep. cannot do work on our own. If yep. I started working in the lab it was it was always a team. Mm-hmm. Uh, my experiments would not work unless so and so had done this and this and this and that, and we're always sharing information openly, yep. openly. That's just how we're wired.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: so um, the, the, there is um, definitely a lot of advantages to hiring stem leaders for those senior positions yes because they already bring Mm. along that mindset of collaboration
0: Mm. yeah and and developing stem researchers into into leaders as well so that they're starting to think about becoming leaders because certainly what i because i you know i work in the medical sciences division and
2: yeah
0: people get involved in their research and they think about their their research career, um, what they very rarely think about is also developing as managers and leaders, um, and that's becoming increasingly critical from that aspect, as well as organisations starting to engage more with STEM professionals, because they're bringing something to the table that's very, very valuable.
1: Absolutely, and and that, that brings me to to the C. Of um, uh, of science, which is consolidate transition process, and you know that um, is a, a sort of like a placeholder for the leader to then stop for a moment and reassess their identity, because when we are going through this transition, like you just pointed out, you're a researcher, and you know they they. We we really value that that title of researcher, not because of ego, but because it is, you know, it is what we love doing. Um, And all of a sudden you get promoted to a position of leadership and that title of researcher may get stripped of you. Mm. And that can really um, affect a lot of uh, STEM leaders. Yep. In ways that they don't talk about, mm. but I certainly went through it myself. Mm. And so in coaching, uh, you know obviously we draw significantly from psychology
2: mm.
1: and from psychotherapy, and we then um, provide some inter- interventions for the leader to then start to to bring together those multiple identities and internalize those different identities, that it's okay to be a manager and also a scientist and also a researcher and also a leader and maybe a business leader yep. and maybe maybe a social leader, hmm. that it is okay, that it's not one or the other. Yep. It yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And, it's, and all, so- it's also okay for there to be tensions between those things and to recognise those tensions and just to allow them to be... Quite often what I find is both leaders and organizations rush to try to negate the tension. Um, and sometimes that's a mistake, you know, just recognizing and allowing it to be for a while to understand what the emergent properties of that are um, and, and what it's doing, uh, and which is kind of a consolidation piece itself. Um, And quite often I find in organisations is they're moving so fast, they don't have time to consolidate. They don't sit back and say, right, okay, what does all this mean? And where is it all going? And they miss a lot, particularly in times of change. They're not seeing those emergent properties. Yeah.
1: Absolutely right. Um, And I'm glad that you pointed that out because especially in that that place of consolidating Mm. process, I provide a model that is derived from um, MBTC, which is mindfulness based cognitive therapy. And it is about training the brain to stop yep. and observe. Yep. And you become an observer. Yeah. So if we have psychological flexibility, it is
2: mm.
1: learning to be to hold yourself as an observer. Yeah. Not as just one identity and it's fixed, but yep. rather you know, you learn to stand back mm. and just view it as yeah. it as it unfolds. And like mm. you said, um, and and I really really like that um, that expression that you use is about sitting with attention. I, I use that a lot in my coaching conversations with my clients.
2: Mm.
1: You know, I it, it, we we talk about, and again, psychological flexibility. It is about actually turning towards the tension rather than avoiding it because we are particularly in the last 50 years or so we've been trained to just reframe so quickly and everything has to be positive everything is great everything you know and and we're supposed to just move on mm. move on yeah um, but i you know there's a lot of unlearning that takes place in the coaching process and
2: seem to have frozen somewhere along the line.
1: With curiosity. And also with a lot of compassion. Yes. A lot of compassion.
0: Yeah, compassion for others and compassion for ourselves.
1: For the self. And so then that brings me to the E on enable sustainable change. And um, that's where I actually introduced the SMART goals. So we identified the the intentions mm. and the basic direction but uh, the actual brilliant. learning agenda mm. can only come a little bit further down the track you know mostly towards the end
0: yes yeah brilliant fantastic great thank you um can i so if if you were to pull out just one main lesson, and this is a horrible thing to do to an author, <laughs> I've, had it, I've had it done to me, so you know so it's my turn to get my own back here. <laughs> so, if you were to pull out the one lesson that people could take away from the book, what would it be?
1: That we need to reconceptualise leadership.
0: Yeah. Okay. That we
1: need a different. Approach to developing our leaders, yeah, uh, and I, really. and I had the audacity of proposing a way.
0: Yep, yeah, yeah. No, 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 it's it's brilliant, and and certainly bringing science into the boardroom, I and and that, that way of critical thinking, I think is imperative, and it, it's it's certainly needed. Um, uh, big time and it's needed within organisations, it's needed politically um, and and it just comes back to how we kind of started all of this um, on the call which is around um, having diversity within the boardroom. Uh, This isn't about replacing um, anybody, it's about increasing the diversity and bringing the skills of um, uh, STEM scientists into the boardroom so that their skills and their capabilities can be used. And and certainly from the, the, the research that's going on around leadership and organizational development and things like that, is it gives organizations a significant competitive advantage. And we're seeing this with kind of biotech organizations and things that do naturally have STEM leaders involved in their boardrooms and bring together... With the, the the more traditional leaders, they become very powerful um, conduits for the organisation for moving it forward and moving it into new spaces, particularly in times of change. That's brilliant. Absolutely.
1: And I think that um, you know, for 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 me, um, you know, when I started out as a chemist, my what I first thought was I was going to be an environmental chemist and um and i gave a presentation to to the business school um on global warming and um i was laughed out of the lecture room this is 1990, uh when i presented alternative um energy uh sources and they they were just laughing and uh and I thought, well, I need to make a living. So there's no way I'm going to become an environmental chemist. Uh, and so I, 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 I moved to the dark side and became a pharmaceutical chemist. Um, like and, I say that, and I say that lightly because I love the pharmaceutical mm. industry. Um, the, 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 the real scientists that want to do good um, have really changed the world. Uh, I'm not talking about the marketing machine. I, I have no time. Well, I, I do have time for it. I, I, I just understand what drives it. And um, and that, again, is talked about in the book in, in mm. terms of that unbridled capitalism that has become uh, so different in, in the last 50 years, you know, less and less and less um, safety nets and, and less control and less regulation. Yeah. And so... I I really um, believe that it is high time, it is urgent, it is critical that we completely reevaluate and change completely how we are developing our leaders. Um, it, it's a must, it's not a nice to, it's not a nice to-do. Leadership matters, leaders are so important. Mm. And um and we only have one planet. And you know, whether we like it or not, we we are uh affected by the decisions made by our leaders. And so we need more balance and more rational thinking um, yeah. at the at the at the key decision-making tables. I'm not talking about And and I'm taking your point about, you know, biotech companies that have, you know, that are very successful and they have uh, STEM leaders on the boards, Um, that to me, and and there's a lot of them around in Australia as well, uh, particularly in IT, where I do a lot of work. I'm really talking about um, sort of the the mammoth companies, the ones that are really influencing the world. um, And and the ones that are driving the political agenda, if, yeah. if you know what I mean. Yes. Um, that's where we really do need a different kind of leader. Yeah. Um, and so once we start to see that, I dare say that we will start to de-risk, um, you know, what is currently um, threatening our planet. Mm. I I have a child, you have children, and um, you asked me what drove me to to write this book. And I was, you know, I I was being purely professional, but if I spoke to you as a multidimensional human being, um, and and I've given these talks at UN uh, meetings and conferences, what really, really drives me is the fact that I feel ashamed that we are leaving the world in the state that it is. That we're giving the world the, the way it is to the next generation. Yeah. My son comes from school um, and says, "Mom, how could your generation have done that?"
0: Yeah, yeah, I, and, I couldn't agree. We need to. We, our generation, have to take responsibility for what we're handing on to the next generation, and at the moment, we're not um i uh, uh, personally i think it's criminal
1: it is criminal and i i had to really you know my editor just kept taking stuff out of my book because he kept saying this is a business book you want it you want it to sell you want the see to read and not throw it out uh but you know i was very tempted to use words like that and i had to bite yeah. my tongue but, yeah. um you know, it, just between you and I, David, it it, um, yeah. it is criminal,
0: it's immoral. Yeah, yeah, I think so as well, yeah. Brilliant. Okay, thank you so much, Ruby. This has been fantastic. I've really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the book. Um, uh, I'll put the, the links to the book in the, the show notes. Um, the book is Scientists in Every Boardroom, Harnessing the Power of STEM Leaders in Every Boardroom. Um, Now, Ruby, if um, our members want to contact you, uh, how can they do so?
1: Please feel free to do so. Um, Just jump on my website, www.proveritas.com.au. And if you want to email me, feel free to do so at rcampbell, all one word, at proveritas.com.au. We're also on Facebook, mm-hmm. Twitter, and LinkedIn. So yeah. um, I'll, um, I'll probably send you some slides that you know yeah. maybe you can you can include in the podcast if anybody wants to to send me a note. Yeah. Um, I would be delighted to hear from from your audience and um and i was actually thinking that you know if if i am contacted the first five people that contact me um i will send them a signed copy of my book
0: oh cool that's really nice thank you very much so i'll I'll put links to um all of the ways to contact you the social media and the the website and everything in the show notes and um and as you can see um Ruby's very open to these conversations. And um, uh, the, the book's very, very good. Great. Thank you very much, Ruby. I really appreciate your time and um, for everything that you've uh, given us during the uh, during our conversation. Thank you yeah, very I really, much. I
1: really enjoyed this
0: Brilliant. interview. Thank you. Thank Great. you very much for your input. Oh, no, it's a pleasure. Take care. Thank Bye. you for listening to the Oxford Review podcast. For free research briefings, audio and video research briefings, research infographics, and a whole lot more, visit Oxford-Review.com. That's Oxford-Review.com. And please, subscribe, rate and review this podcast. It would mean a lot to us to have your feedback so that we can make this podcast even better for you.